Welcome to Wonderland. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Hello, everybody. This is the Alone in the Dark podcast. My name is Mike Boylan. Matt Stripoli. And uh, we're your hosts for this uh, new podcast. We're really excited about it. Um, we're both huge fans of uh, horror films in general. And uh, tell you a little bit about ourselves. Um, my name is Mike Boylan. Um, live in New Jersey. Um, a filmmaker and a teacher. And uh, grew up loving uh, horror films and uh, just sci-fi and anything to do with sort of the, the mystery of the unexplained. So um, I'll be one of your hosts. And um, Matt? Yeah, and I'm uh, Matt Stripoli, also from uh, New Jersey. Mike and I are from the same area, actually. Met through some uh, mutual friends and actually through band stuff because we both uh, both play guitar as well and sing. So we kind of met and bonded over our love of Halloween, really, and uh, grew from there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was it was that movie that glued us together. Um, so for this podcast, I think what we're going to do, our plan is we're going to talk about a film that recently came out in theaters or, uh, DVD or Blu-ray or, you know, is recently streaming online. Cause that's a big thing now. Um, and then what we'll do is review that film and then we're going to come up with like top five list based on the theme of that film. So tonight we're, we're going to be talking about the film Haunter, which came out a couple weeks ago on Blu-ray and DVD and streaming and all that good stuff. And our theme for tonight is what, Maddie? Top five haunted house films. And we're going to be very liberal with that, uh, with that title and that yeah, subgenre. Yeah. I think we're going to, we're going to slide a little bit on some, uh, some rules probably that, that true fans might have, but I think it'll be enjoyable. Oh, well, <laughs> so, um, one thing I'd like to mention is we have a website. Um, it's alone in the dark and the reason for the site is to have our podcast on, obviously. But then we also have some friends that are big fans of horror as well um, that are going to contribute some written horror reviews um, with Matt and I. So it'll be a great site to go and read some good reviews of maybe some films you haven't seen or films that you have seen and you, you want to check out. Um, and then also some horror news on there as well. Like uh, one of the articles I just posted was about the masks from Halloween 3 yes. that were put out that um, I cannot wait to get if I can afford them. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So just cool stuff like that. You know, we're big fans. So anything that we think is cool, we're just going to hopefully post it. And uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy it as well. Yeah. And the cool thing about this is, you know, we have no, you know, no illusions that these movies haven't been discussed before. But you know, we kind of have our own spin on it, and I, I th think it definitely comes from a, from a sincere, you know, appreciative fan point of view. So I think it's definitely worth uh, worth you guys hearing. Yeah, I think we're all fans. You know, I think um, the one thing I, I, I'm amazed by is we have a, a Twitter account that I set up before we did this podcast, and we have so many people that are following us and supportive and it's it's so great i was telling i was telling you matt how great the horror community is and amazing it's, it's so awesome how people are so supportive and just into it and it, it's just so much fun to go online and share cool things whether it's a photo or just a review of a movie or, or anything it's just it's awesome it's really cool so it's just neat to know that there are other people out there that are really into it as well so yeah so you ready to get started maddie let's, let's do this all right so haunter mac and cheese for lunch and we have meatloaf for dinner we go to bed wake up tomorrow and do the exact same thing 
Okay, so our little friend Abigail Breslin. Where did we, where have we seen her before? I think she was in a Volkswagen, maybe traveling across the road. Somewhere. Possibly Steve Carell. Yeah, I believe still be right. I think about I that remember one. something about that. Yeah. So listen, the thing that struck me right away about this film, you know, us we being musicians, um, the score was very very cool. I mean, yeah. that just kind of kind of got me in the film right away. Absolutely. Um, and Abigail Breslin actually was very good in this film. And, you know, I, before we actually get into all that we're going to talk about, you know, I think that it's, it's definitely a worthy film. The music right away just, just kind of takes you into the film. It carries at night and has a cool, very cool, uh, sequence with the titles in the beginning. And then, um, it just, it's hilarious because right in the beginning, it, there's so much fog being pumped across the, you know, this house, this Moorish looking house. Yeah. And it's like overloaded of fog yeah i i don't know i kind of liked it though that's the one thing i liked about this film is the atmosphere i don't know if you kind of felt the same way but i felt like they did a really good job with with setting up the atmosphere for the film and sort of this this world where you know without giving anything away this world where um things are strange and then things are normal you know it sort of switches back and forth and i thought they did a cool job with that um, I feel like we're getting ahead of it, though, Matt. What, yeah. You know, the plot. Like, I feel well, like we should talk about the plot a little bit. Well, I do like I do like the setup as well, um, like, like you had mentioned. And definitely the character. I like the isolation, for, for sure. Um, those of you the fans of Neil Gaiman and, and uh, Coraline specifically would really get into it. This has a lot of, a lot of uh, parallels to Coraline and how she... Um, well, it, it, what I like about this film is it doesn't hide what it is. Yeah. It's not trying to pull some big reveal at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a quality film. Um, and I do love that she lives the same day over and over again, a la Groundhog Day, which yes. is one I know one of, mutually one of our favorite films. Yes, yeah. I thought that was an interesting twist on a, on a horror film to kind of obviously be inspired by Groundhog Day. And then again, she's a cl- she plays the clarinet, and she plays these little melodies, and they kind of blend so well because then they go into the montage as the camera floats across the dinner table, and it's just that she's living the day over and over. And I love the mundane way that... They kind of show the repetition of the day, and I thought yeah. that was very clever. Matt, I think the clarinet struck me as kind of an interesting part of the film because it's like a theme that repeats. Absolutely. I feel like the film is about repetition, correct? So definitely, I love that that clarinet piece. That again in the setup, you know, they have the Rubik's cube. They have the eight, a lot of the eighty stuff. Ronald Reagan's uh, addressing on the television, uh, doing his uh, presidential address right. on the TV. I thought they did a good job with that. They, she's you know she's doing the Rubik's cube, obviously. Um, you know, I, I thought that you know her listening and hearing noises coming from the vent. You know, that's all stuff that kind of seeps into your. You know, yeah, and that was one of my favorite shots uh, in the beginning is that one shot where she goes up to the vent and there's that crazy dolly shot that sort of backs up really quick. Yes. I love that shot. It was really, really cool in such a small space, too. It's just kind of like an interesting shot. Like, how'd they do that? You know? Yeah, and again, they have the Tim Burton-esque trees outside the window. Yeah. Um, so they definitely really uh, designed this film well and, and had some good setups for it. The other thing I thought was cool, I don't know if you noticed going back to the atmosphere, was the um, the color of the film. Did you notice this sort of like 
overly green sort of tint. Yes. When she's in those moments, you yes. know, like at, at the beginning when she's sort of, you, you're not sure where she is, but right. then she starts repeating. You just, it's so subtle, but it's so cool. It just really sets up this, this kind of like eerie atmosphere. It's eerie, but it's funny at the same time because it doesn't take itself too seriously. The whole murder she wrote, you know, the family has to yes. be there to watch murder she wrote at night. You know, and I, 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 love, I dig little stuff like that. Yeah, because that's you know, kind of, I remember growing up and that's what you did. You, you, you sat down as a family and watched that. I used to love watch, watching Murder, She Wrote. It was kind of a, you know, it was just kind of a fun thing that brought me back. The, and the brother, the, the, whole, the whole device with the brother saying the thing in the walkie-talkie and yes. how it changes during the course of the film depending on, you know, what's going on mm-hmm. and which ghosts or whatever that she's connecting with. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really cool. Um one thing about uh, Abigail's performance, I don't know if, if I felt like she was a little over dramatic with her. Um, I, I call it the ah, the ah face or the uh. <laughs> every time like she started to see these ghosts and these apparitions and these weird things, she would make this face, and I felt like it was like the same face every single time, and it was just so over dramatic. Well, I think it, it might have been a face that you've probably did quite naturally seeing Steve Carell off camera on Little Miss Sunshine, you know, just having enough of him. Just Jesus Christ, please, already. It might be, but that was the one thing that sort of started to annoy me a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, I think she did a good job overall, you know. Um, yeah, I definitely do also. The shot, you know, when she first goes upstairs, this, I don't know. In the this, attic itself? Yes. yes. And she goes upstairs and she goes to grab the door and the door slams shut. Yes. Did that remind you of a scene from another movie? Yeah, The Innkeepers. The Innkeepers? I'm thinking of something else. Oh, I was thinking of the final shot of Innkeepers. Yeah, which, yeah. Which, that's very cool. I love how, the, and not to digress here, but yeah. the way that holds on the, you know, holds on that door at the end of that film. Right, and right. it's like, bam. I love that. Yeah. I, that's what kind of reminded me of right away. Did It didn't, didn't gra- it grabbed me right away of Beetlejuice. You remember oh, Beetlejuice? Sure. Yes, when it yes. almost looked like the same stairwell. It was, it was just funny. That, that is but funny. But that, that just grabbed me. I'm like, wow, that's, that's like the same shot from Beetlejuice. But yeah, not, not that they were ripping off Beetlejuice, but I just thought it was interesting. Um, yeah, so then you have Olivia, who's living in the house now, the modern, um, take yes and like i said they don't hide what happens well, yeah abigail's sort of trapped in this this world in the 80s and olivia is is a family living in present day in 2013 right? yeah. or whatever so yes that's kind of the thing you know that's going on and you're trying to sort of solve this mystery of why you know she is stuck in this in this world and keeps repeating the day over and over again what happened um couple of things that that kind of I felt like were influenced by some other films we might talk about tonight was the dad sure the first scene with the dad in the garage messing with the car, car yeah it reminded me so much of the shining when you know he starts to lose it in the hotel and starts to get angry and kind of mad at the family right um, I felt like there was definitely some influences from the shining as well yeah I definitely could see that yeah, it felt it felt like that way to me, you know. And I, and I love the whole, you know, the history of the house and the young kid who grew up there and yeah. they develop that story a little bit. Um, obviously, it's important to the film. Absolutely. But then the father fixing the car and smoking when he wasn't smoking before, and it's it's cool how it kind of morphs and changes as it goes in, and it, it leaves you, you know, it's a well constructed. You could see it, and it's in the story. It's in the script. It starts with that. So I yeah. think they did a good job with that. Definitely. Um, another thing that sort of jumped out at me is kind of a weird thing. Do you notice the first time she saw grown up Edgar? Um, there's like a shot, he's wearing sunglasses and then there's a shot where you see like a skull in his eyeball and then they cut back to the shot of him in his sunglasses. And I'm thinking, where did the sunglasses go for oh, that maybe shot? I, missed that. I didn't, I didn't catch that. It was a pretty like artistic dramatic thing, but it, it was so funny. It was just like one of those crazy jump cuts where, 
you see the guy with the glasses, and then you can't see his eyes because he's wearing dark sunglasses. Right. Then they cut to a, like a close-up shot, and you see his eyeball with a skull in it. And then they cut back, and he's got these sunglasses on again. And it was just like, what? you know. Well, did- and I noticed that we're we're kind of influenced, and we're noticing the influences here. And it's their influence. The influences here are other films that we're going to be mentioning a little bit later on. Yeah. And for sure, the sunglasses. Um, has burnt offerings written all over it for me. I mean that, that and we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get while. into that when we get we get into our uh, yeah our top five. But you know, uh, without giving anything away, I, I think this is a, a cool film to check out just because of the unique take on it, and I think it's got sort of a resolve to it as well, which I liked. I don't want to give away the ending, but um, it has an ending, which I always like. Um, did you, you appreciate the ending? Did you like it? Yes, I did. I, I thought if, I thought it was consistent with the film and it, it was a satisfying ending for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if I was to rate this movie, I think you, you and I are both teachers. We'll agree probably to, to give it a, you know, a school grade. For me, it would be a C. You know, it was it was like an okay film. I, I wasn't rushing to turn it off, but I wasn't like super, you know, excited to see what happened. Um, I liked it. You know, I would recommend it to people to check out. I think it's definitely a good watch at home. Okay. Um, it's got some good atmosphere, a good soundtrack, you know. Um, and it, it, like I said, it's just a, a unique take on on horror. I think, and on the the ghost, you know, the ghost story kind of horror. Yeah, and for the reasons you just said, I think I'd actually probably give it a B minus or a C plus, a little bit higher, based okay. on the merits of the like the score and how it ties in with the musical themes. Yeah, and and the tight story and the good atmosphere. I think I think it adds up to a pretty good film, pretty solid film. Cool. All right, guys, you got it. Haunter, uh, definitely check it out. It's actually available um, on Netflix streaming right now, and you can obviously rent it through iTunes, Netflix, you know, DVD, but you can also do digital rental on iTunes. Amazon has it as well. Um, so yeah, Haunter, check it out. Check it out. Okay. So uh, one quick thing I want to talk about is on our website, we have uh, kind of like a, a weekly contest that we're going to run uh, called Scream of the Week. And what we do is we post a, um, a gory photo from a film from a right, horror a still film. photo, right? Yeah, still photo. And it's pretty tough. Well, I think it's pretty tough anyway. Well, I didn't get this week. So. Yeah, yeah. If you go on there and check it out, uh, we'd love for you to uh, we'd love to get some feedback on the show. But also, uh, we'd love for you to guess what this photo is. If you can guess it, then uh, we'll come up with something to send to you. Um, I'll figure something out. We don't really know. We'll what give it you is. a plug. We'll give you a plug, or you know, I, I may have some uh, some old DVDs that I uh, upgraded to Blu-ray if you want, or I don't know. We'll figure <laughs> something out. But uh, please, please uh, see if you can guess it. Uh, this week's one's pretty good, and uh, definitely check out the website. Five, four, three, two, one. Now we're getting into our top fives. Top okay, five, let's do this. So the reason why we did the top five haunted house movies, obviously, is because we talked about Haunter, which is a haunted house movie. Um, and growing up, Maddie, I know the era that we grew up in, which is like the 80s into the 90s, sure. you know, but mostly the 80s, there were a slew of haunted house movies and ghost stories and just a lot even left over from the early 80s and the 70s. Right. Uh, there's a lot of films to kind of go through here. And I had a tough time, you know, narrowing down. You know, I had my top 10 um it was hard. And I was trying to do something different. I didn't want to pick the films that most people picked. I threw a couple in there that I thought uh, would be a little different. How did you feel about this? Yeah, list? I, I thought it was difficult also, but I, I knew that some of them, no matter how much I, I tried to hide from it, I was just going to 
gravitate back towards that. Yeah, and you know, I the felt tried the same and true. Way. And yeah, I, especially it, the top two, right? I can't think, feel bad about it. Yeah, know? no, I think it's it's you know their films, but I I think we have some maybe some interesting ones that kind of come out of left field. You know, that'll be good. So, uh, why don't you start, Maddie? What was your number five? Yeah, so let me mash this up already. <laughs> I'm going to start bending the rules before we even make them here. So my number five film. Top Haunted Houses films is Evil Dead 2 from Sam Raimi, 1987. Evil Dead 2, dead by dawn. I think um, this would be one of those films that's probably been discussed to death. And kudos to everybody who's who loves this film and has a lot to say about it. You should have a lot to say about it. It's a fantastic film. Knows exactly what it is, and it, it's hilarious because I was watching. Uh, I have the uh, the tin. Remember the Anchor Bay released the yes. tens, yeah, like fifty thousand, right? Fifty thousand special yeah, editions. It's, well, it's mine's an, like number thirty-six thousand something. Yeah, my I, don't, ten. I don't even know what my number is, but I, the one thing I hate about it is that it does not fit on like a DVD rack. Oh, it's awful. It's you got to like put it like sideways, and if anyone has this tin, you probably know exactly what we're talking about. It is the most awkward thing to uh, to store. Why couldn't they just make that thing square? Well, I, I don't know, but what's amazing about it is Greg Nicotero, who now is humongous. Well, yeah. now he's been humongous forever, but. He's now, you know, the Walking Dead director as well, you know, and as well as countless other things. Tar- works for Tarantino and, mm-hmm. you know, John Carpenter and several thousand other people. Um, he was a kid, you know, on this film. It was one of his first times that Ber- he and Berger and those guys uh, did the special effects. And they, did, they actually assisted another gentleman uh, whose name is Mark Shoster. And it's hysterical because he shot all this home video. It's like real video. It has the wavy lines in it, you know. Um, and he shot all this home video, and that's only the backstage stuff, the back, uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff that yeah. you see is all him. The stuff he shot, right? And Sam Raimi is a complete. I mean, I guess we know this to an extent, but he's a complete goofball. Like he's just mis- he's obsessed with the Three Stooges. He's like always trying to like eye gouge the, the camera. I mean, it's hysterical. <laughs> it's it's really funny. And then he's making this film that. Well, listen, it's a cartoon, this film. Yeah, it, it doesn't pretend to be this serious film. It's true. I was watching it today, Maddie, just to kind of brush up, and it really is... It, there were moments where... I, I have uh, twin boys that are nine. There were moments where I was like, the boys could probably watch this, and they would laugh. They wouldn't be scared. They, they really... You're right. There is... Like Beetlejuice elements, you know? Yeah, yeah. It definitely has that feel. There's definitely some of that in there. But, uh, you know, and I was... I watched it again, and you know, it's what the the most funniest part of this whole thing is the thing that creeps me out most about this film. Actually, I feel stupid now because it's actually Sam Raimi's brother, Ted Raimi, plays this part. And when I watched it, I'm like, oh my god, it's hilarious. But meanwhile, that was the thing that scared me the most when I was young. It's Henrietta, the thing in the in the cellar, yes, in the in the basement. I was so freaked out by Henrietta. You have no idea. Um, and it's and when I see his brother in the makeup and they're goofing around and they're doing stupid shit, I'm like, ah, this is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You know, but when I was a kid, it really, that's the part of the film that kind of had an impact on me. Right. Know? Yeah. Um, you know, pounding on the door and oh man, and the camera work is is insane in it's this movie. It's unbelievable. It's it's so cool. When I was watching it today, I do you think about the intricacies of how to set up those shots and some of them? Oh, the smash cam because they had the thing that they smashed through window when it, when it goes completely. Up to the back of the car, goes through, bashes the back window, goes through the front windshield. Yeah. And it's chasing. I mean, then it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, my favorite shot is when Ash 
uh, gets it and he gets dragged through all the trees. Oh, it's hysterical. And he's spinning. Like, I understand where the camera was, but how the hell did they do that? Well, they said that Sam Raimi was really whacking Bruce, Cam- Bruce Campbell in the face with bushes. Like, he was sadistic. Yeah. He had a real sadistic sense of humor and he was whacking him in the well, face with bushes. And obviously, stuff. that shot was sped up. You know, that's pretty obvious. But the spinning and everything, it's just to think of, I would love to see a behind the scenes shot of just that whole take. Oh, yeah. You know, it would be amazing. And the sound, the sound in this yes. film, the way it stops on a dime, like zzz. And the way the clock and the moose—I mean, everything is tied into the sound. It kind of reminded me, sound-wise, because the, I thought The Exorcist was a really breakthrough film. I mean, I think it even won Best Sound probably uh, in the Oscars for 1974. But it was it, it, the sound in this is so central to it, and, the, and central to the comedy, to everything. The way he just stops and goes, "Work shit," you know, it's like it's hysterical. But the way they they suck the sound yeah. out and they get these lines in, oh, it's just—you could talk. I think Three from, hours on this film. From a fa- from a sound perspective, this film is amazing. You know, with all the sound effects and um, all the noises, it, it's unbelievable. The lighting's pretty cool too. That's the one thing I was I was watching today. Um, the way they have the light set up, it, it's really hard. You know, they're in a small space yeah, in that small. cabin. You know, I know they they built it. Obviously, it was in actually a gymnasium. Oh, was it? Yeah, really? they built they built the set in a, in the middle of a gymnasium. Oh my god, that's amazing! And like I think in North Carolina or Virginia, that's cool. But there's a couple of shots where you can see, like when they're showing exterior shots of the house, you can actually see spotlights in the trees aiming down, and you can see them sort of hitting. But it does these cool things where it makes these shadows on the faces when you know when he's going outside and right. and in the house too. There's a lot of those kind of like. Um, direct like light shots where there's like this kind of dramatic lighting and it's beautiful it's really cool yeah, really well thought out i agree i mean here's this guy he's freaking around doing this three stooges stuff but he knew his complete complete control of every facet of this movie yeah and it's amazing. quite obvious um i mean five minutes in the girl the main one of the main characters gets yes. beheaded i mean this it's, movie starts right away yeah it, i mean they drive there he's playing his little piano melody and it's so dramatic on purpose and then you're hysterically laughing because Bruce yeah. Campbell playing this piano looking like he's being passionate and then suddenly the girl's i mean it's amazing it starts with like immediately it's, it's hysterical it's it's crazy how quickly it gets into it and how fast it kind of goes from there on it flies from that point on you know what i mean yeah it's, and i'm laughing and you're laughing and then suddenly you're like wait a second um, this is pretty scary too. They're listening to the tape, and it's like, yeah, and you know, I buried my wife's body in the basement. You're like, oh my god, she's there. It, you know, she's in the cellar. It's, <laughs> it's pretty. It's still pretty kind of freaky. It's the rare here for me. It's the rare film that kind of takes a backseat to spectacle. The story, as far as the story, obviously the story is concerned, and imagine right. and imagine, but imagination and spectacle take the front seat. But it's done so well yeah. that it's just, I mean, again, you could spend three podcasts talking about this film. It's certainly got to be in my top five. I think it's it's one of those films that um, it's fun to watch with other people as well. I think you introduced me to this film, Maddie. I think uh, I did. a long time ago. But um, Someone introduced it to me, so I, yeah, know, I paid but, it forward. But it, it's one of those films where you're sitting with a friend and you're just laughing together and just going, oh, my God. It's yep. just one of those films that you can enjoy with someone else, you know? Um to think, yeah, I wish I could have seen it in the theaters when it came out, you know. Well, we were 12 or yeah, 13 yeah. or whatever. But it must have been amazing, you know, because just to see the audience and how they handled it, you know, it must have been a lot of fun. All right. So what is your number five film? Okay. This is, uh, this is pretty out there, but this is definitely, uh, for me, it's a film that I grew up with and loved. It was one of those films that was always on TV, and every time it was on, I had to watch it. Uh, Saturday the 14th. Saturday the 14th. <laughs> It gets bad on Friday the 13th, but it gets worse on Saturday the 14th.
The Book of Evil! Which, it's a haunted house film. It's definitely a comedy, but it's got its fun elements, you know? Uh, Written and directed by Howard R. Cohen, um, who went on to do a lot of uh, television and cartoons cartoon you know cartoons and stuff he actually did like rainbow bright wow and the care bears it's very strange oh my goodness so for him to sort of you know start with one of these this this film you know i don't think it was a start but this is one of his earlier in his career and then move on to that it's just kind of funny it's hysterical yeah um it's starring uh richard benjamin who was in westworld and and a bunch of other stuff right and then his actual real life wife plays his wife in this movie paula prentice um and then you got the great Jeffrey Tambor from uh, oh, the Arrested Development, Arrested Development series. Sure. He plays uh, the vampire who uh, – the basic plot of this, of this film is that this, this family moves into a house, an old scary house. looks like the Munster's house. And um, this, this vampire and this vampirist are trying to find this book. It actually reminds me of Evil Dead. Evil because, Dead. There you go. Yeah, the it's like the, the same – almost the same plot. Uh, very similar. Um, they want this book. You don't know why. So the the son of this family opens the book, and there's all these pages of monsters. And as he's flipping through the book, these monsters come alive, and they start you know kind of tormenting this family, um, but done in a very comedic way. This is definitely a comedy, but it's got you know horror monster elements to it. Um, well, this is all you, man, because I have to say I've seen this film, <laughs> but it is it has literally been like 25 years well, you, since I've seen this. Yeah, film. that's the thing. I, it's sad. I have to revisit it. I know. I had to watch it, you know, on YouTube because it's not even available. Um, you can't you can't watch it online in any capacity. I thought for sure it'd be on Netflix, but it's not. But if you do go to YouTube, you can check it out. Well, you own the Laserdisc or something at some time, didn't you? Was it when it was available back I in the late '90s? Did you have the Laserdisc? I don't think so. No, I don't even video think. or something. I, maybe I had a VHS thing. copy of it. But um, there's so many great things about this film that that sort of struck me. I sure, you know, if if you haven't seen this movie and you're watching it the first time, you're probably gonna think it's the goofy piece of shit ever but for me it's just one of those films that sort of resonates with me with my childhood I just loved it but there's a great opening sequence uh, an animated sequence with like this bat wearing sunglasses and all this he gets put through the ringer and like all this stuff so it's kind of like better off dead yeah totally like better off dead it's yeah. definitely got that feel to it um, my favorite part of this film though is uh, as you know Maddie I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan as oh, you yeah. are the, the, there's a television in the house and this family moves into this house and they don't bring any furniture with them. I guess like all the furniture just stays um, from the prior owners. Um, the television only plays the Twilight Zone, but it's not, it's not your typical Twilight Zone. It's like these really funny um, versions of the Twilight Zone and it's, it's all Rod Serling like introducing these Twilight Zone episodes, right. but they have to be heard. It's it's hilarious. Just like any other. But before it was over, Millicent Hackshaw would find herself in was an innocent teenage girl. She had no idea that the terrible events building around her would plunge. Is this what you call looking up the TV? I've tried every channel and all I get is the Twilight Zone. Dimension of sight and sound and smell. A dimension of oriental paper. It'll be all right once the storm is over. Destination is Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah, that's one I definitely have to 
revisit. But like you said, I don't know how I'm going to revisit it. I'm, I'm assuming well, it's on YouTube. You oh, can, it is on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, okay. you can watch the whole movie on YouTube. Someone uploaded it. Um, but just real quick, I, I want to move on. But other funny no, no. things. There's like a creature of the Black Lagoon kind of character, and he speaks in like subtitles. And he he's like really nice, but the you know the the sister like is freaked out, so she keeps like hitting him and stuff. And he's like, oh. um, <laughs> there's like a monster in the in the the boys young boys closet that convinces him to tell like to not tell his dad that he's there, and he's like actually being nice to him. And hey, it's like uh, it's like uh, what's his name, Odorous Urongus in uh, yeah, in, in Holliston, Adam Green's closet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and there's there is an interesting twist at the end. You know, there's this whole thing where the the whole uh, the family is having a party on Saturday the fourteenth, and that's like when all this stuff's about to go down with this book. Um, Van Helsing gets involved, which is funny. They bring Van Helsing in. <laughs> oh, that's classic. Um, and the vampires are trying to get the book as well. And you don't know why the vampire wants the book, but there is an interesting twist. I don't want to give it away because no, someone might want to see it and check it out. But anyway, like I said, it's only available on YouTube, but Saturday the 14th, the classic 80s uh, comedy horror film. If you haven't seen it, I, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, and I feel like I haven't I haven't seen it because I haven't seen it in so long. So Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun to put it on and check it out so moving on all right maddie number four what do you oh, got my number four film you know i could debate this this could be higher i mean this is a film that i just again it's, it's all about nostalgia you and i are the most two, two of the most nostalgic guys i know and this film brings me back to my my cousin just always used to come up to me and go yeah um maddie do me a favor go upstairs and get something for me but be careful because mrs allardyce is upstairs <laughs> and i know that it's burnt offerings from 1976 it all began as a summer vacation a young family found a beautiful old house they thought it was the answer to their dreams nine hundred dollars and then it's all ours but it was the beginning of a nightmare burnt offerings the director was dan curtis who it's pretty interesting. He had worked on. I don't know if you've ever seen Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black, no. um, Dark Shadows, the television yes. show. Yeah, he's from. That's those were his origins. Dan oh, Curtis, okay. uh, very cool guy. And it's um, Karen Black is the actress in it, who was actually interestingly enough, four or five months pregnant when she did this film, and you re she hides it very well. I mean, really? you can't tell, but she was four or five months pregnant during the filming of this um, movie, and um, Oliver Reed. Oh man. Uh, just a melodramatic method actor that is just absolutely note perfect in this movie. <laughs> if you like overacting, I mean, some of the his his expressions, and uh, it, it's just it's beyond words. And I I just I don't want to say too much about this film either. I'm I'm going to go into a little bit of it, but I so want you to see it. I definitely um, want to. It's definitely one of those films that I haven't seen that you've been telling me for years to check out. And we always do this. You know, we build it up and build it up, and then and it's like, oh, you know, I was all right. You know, because <laughs> here I am, I'm building up, but like it's Citizen Kane or something. Right. And, and it's, you know, it. but to me it is. You know, it's one of these horror films that, you know, it's a touchstone horror film. It's a, it's a definitely in the set. It's definitely of, of its time in the 70s. A great location. Great, great location outside of Oakland, California. And it's this beautiful old old um, house. And it's got Burgess Meredith. Nice. Briefly, in the, um, as one of the owners of the house, and he is just perfectly creepy, and just his little looks, and he's almost like rubbing his hands, like yes, like it's <laughs> it's really it's really well done. Um, the acting is great. Uh, the kid is really good uh, that they have. Karen Black is fantastic, and again, we talked about the musical theme in Haunter. Yeah. The music box, there's a music box theme, which I know you would love because you love little touches like that. Right. So Mrs. Allardyce 
Burgess Meredith and his sister are the ones who are renting this house out. Okay. It's, and and Oliver Reed and Karen Black and their son come into the house, and actually the, Anne Elizabeth comes too, and it's played by Betty Davis, an old, old-time actress who's, who's great in this yeah. film also. And <laughs> this is this hysterical part. They're renting a film, and the condition is, listen, our mother's upstairs, our 85-year-old mother is what? all the way upstairs, and she, she's along with the deal. So you can rent the house. You get it super cheap. You get it like 900 bucks for the whole entire summer. But you have to take care of our mom. Like, Are you just, And all you have to do is just go up and bring the tray up there and three square meals a day. That's it. So it's kind of like the deal of the house. Oh, my gosh. So how fantastic of a setup is that? That is utterly um, ridiculous but amazing Oh, at the but same it, is time. Am- it is amazing. <laughs> it is absolutely amazing. Um, Bob Cobert, anyway, is the music, uh, the guy who did the score. And um, his music box theme is so creepy. And, and the, the music is fantastic. Actually... It kind of carries on in the vein of what what um what Hitchcock was doing in his films, what Bernard Herrmann was doing in Psycho and the, the real heavy string stuff. Oh cool. Really dramatic. And what it was actually what um Harry Manfredini would later do a couple of years later with the Friday Friday franchise yes. when he started that. Certainly influences and you can hear a lot of that in this film. So I want to give props where they where they where they're needed and where they deserved. And Bob Cobert definitely um does a great job with the music. And every time she goes upstairs to give the, you know, because Karen Black, the mom of the house, that's her job. She goes up. She's going to take care of Mrs. Allardyce. Okay. And after a while, she gets very protective of that job. Like no one else is allowed to go up there but her. Um, and she goes up there and she turns the music box on and wacky shit could be happening. Like the kid could be falling down like in an accident outside. And she's just enraptured and kind of like falling under the spell of this house and falling in love as this music box theme plays. And it's beautifully done. Um there's a pool sequence. The pool's a nightmare. Don't go in the pool because um, <laughs> never. Go it, in the pool. it turns Oliver Reed. He's just starting to flip his son and having a dad, nice dad, kind of just flipping his son. And hey, son, let me flip you again. And he literally attacks him and is almost killing him in the pool. It's, it's, it's the greatest scene you have to see. And it's filmed just like you know the scene in Jaws when there's the panic and um, they built the box camera. Yes, that, that's that's um, level of the the surface of yes. the, of the yep. ocean. So it's the same thing. So it's the it's next year after Jaws. So they right. definitely borrowed that idea. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, but it was great. It's, it's really well filmed. That's amazing. Um, but you would laugh at the same time and be like, wow, holy shit. But those shit, are this the best nasty. films, right? The ones that you could laugh at. And... But you're laughing, but, you're, but at the same time, it's like, it's, holy shit, this yeah. is dark, man. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is dark, you know, uh, this guy's got some serious demons, but, um, it's so well done. Um, and the, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes is actually not, not a horrific scene at all. It's the scene where, Oliver Reed's like, you know, we got to get out of here. We have to leave. This house is destroying us. And she goes, this house is everything. And she looks at it and it's just, it, it gave me chills, man. It's like, it seems cheesy now, but yeah. he's telling her, get in the car. You know, we're leaving. And she's like, you know, this house is destroying. It. No, this house is everything. And she's, <laughs> oh, it's, it's just awesome. And I don't want to even give, I'm not even going to go there and give away the, the, the no, end of this film. Don't, Cause I want to see it. But it, it's reminiscent of another film that's very confounding to you and I. And we've watched it two or three times. Don't look now. Yes. And it's one of those things where you're, you know, what the fuck just happened, you know? Yeah. But it's a very cool ending. Um, That's you'll cool. like it. Um, again, his acting is fantastic. And again, I mentioned the sunglasses before with the uh, with the other guy from The Haunter. Yes. And Oliver Reed's character, um, when he was younger, his mom passed away. So he's constantly doing this flashback thing where he's at his mom's funeral. And the chauffeur driver for, for the limousine where he has this really mousy skinny gaunt face and this little you know weaselly mouth and he's got these dark sunglasses on and he just smiles all he has to do is smile it's it's freaking scary man especially when i was a kid yeah that had a big impact on me and he ends up you know that character comes back later on 
And when Oliver Reed sees him or sees like illusions of him and thinks he sees him, you know, at the one point he's, he's chopping wood or he's chopping branches or something. He's got no shirt on. And he's like drinking a beer and he sees him and he gets freaked out and he like squeezes the beer can. And like <laughs> the beers fly like he's getting all freaked out. But it's hysterical, man. Oh, it's, it's, I can't wait to see this But at the same time, film. it's brilliant. It's a brilliant film. And I, and I really, I love this. I genuinely love this film. I really do. That's great. So uh, Burnt Offerings, 1976. If you haven't seen it, please make it your business. Yeah, and, and I don't think it's available on Netflix. I, I, I think I checked the, tried to check this one out. Um, Netflix, it certainly is. Regular Netflix. It's not, regular not Netflix. Stream, it's not, not streaming, streaming but not it streaming. is on Netflix. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, you know there's a couple. I don't even think it's on Amazon because I have an Amazon account, and I, I tried to find it, and I couldn't find it. But, um, yeah, you can, you can get it from Netflix if you have the DVD subscription. Um, or it might be for rent through iTunes, but uh, I'm not positive on that but anyway yeah check cool. it out i definitely will uh and your number four film my number four maddie is um the innkeepers from 2012 there you go do you know the story of madeline o'malley she was the woman that died here in the hotel she hung herself after her fiance stood her up on their wedding day and ever since then people have reported seeing the ghost of madeline o'malley roaming the hallways waiting for her lover some say she's even looking to take up a new one. Yes. Uh, written and directed by Ty West, uh, who has also done House of the Devil. Um, and he was one of the writers on VHS. Um, so one of those kind of new up-and-coming horror directors, writer-directors. Cool. Um, I picked this film because it reminded me of other films. Um, you know, reminded me of The Shining a little bit. Reminded me of... Um, just this kind of a cool little story. And I love horror films that are really simple and done in, in, in like a simple location and simple story. And this had all of that for me. And I really enjoyed this film. It, it, it was one of those films that I just happened to say, Hey, let me check it out. You know, it, it, the kind of the cover grabbed me. Um, I thought it was interesting and watched it from that. And from there, I was really, really, really happy with this film. I thought it was a, a neat story. It's, it's, the story is that it's an old hotel, right? Like right. A bed and breakfast yep. hotel that's about to be closed. And it's the last weekend, actually, of operation. Yes, the last weekend. And uh, during the, the final days of this, this Yankee Peddler Inn, it's called. I think it's like in Connecticut or something? Yeah, the or? Only, and I was thinking about that the whole time. The only thing, that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I could be wrong about this. The fact that it's kind of right on the highway, I thought that might kind of bother you a little bit because you kind of like that isolation yeah. factor when you're talking Small about haunted town stuff. And yeah, and but, sort of like but I th- off but, the beaten path. I think it worked for this film, though. No, it was kind of cool that it was in the town because I think it brought in that element that everyone in that town sort of knew like this place and you know it had sort of a local f- like feel to it. Um, but anyway, these two employees, Claire and Luke, um, are are like paranormal investigators as well. And they love this place and they don't want it to close. It's like this last weekend, like you said, and they're doing this investigation. They're like, let's really do a a paranormal investigation and check this place out. Well, Luke is kind of doing some porn on the side, but uh, we're on his computer. Yeah, no, he's having some fun. (laughs) Yeah, he is. Um, But uh, things start to happen. Uh, An old man checks into the hotel. Right. um, A mysterious old man, and he wants a specific room. Right. That was um, creepy. Yeah, and it's just kind of weird. And then uh, um, a medium checks into to the hotel as well. Yeah, and uh, who plays that medium? I don't know who plays the medium. It's, it's the that kind of middle-aged woman, right? Yeah. It's Kelly McGillis. Is it really? From Top Gun. 
Are you serious? Yes, that was Kelly McGillis from Top Gun, also no. from The Accused. Absolutely, 100%. It's Kelly McGillis with the gray hair. Oh, my God. That is God. Kelly McGillis. Yeah, talk, tell me about it. I, I had her. no idea. Well, there you go. Holy cow, you just blew my mind. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, anyway, just, you know, not to go too deeply into this film, because I think it's definitely one of those films that you should check out, you know, if you haven't seen it. It's definitely a joy. Um but the, just a couple things. I really like the pacing of this film. It, it reminded me of, you remember in the old, like in the 80s and the 70s, there was a slower pacing to horror films. Oh, yeah, sure. Where nowadays it's just like bam, bam, bam. You know, it's almost like it's just too fast and too much right in your face. Yeah, God forbid you let a shot linger. God yeah. yeah. And it just had this nice slow pacing that sort of slowly built up to the end. I love the wide shots, especially in the lobby when they just kind of let the cameras sit like all the way across the room and you got like a feel of the whole entire space. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, because you know what? This is a really beautiful place you know it's it's it was it's a working hotel right exactly and it, it's gorgeous the way it is and you know i don't know how much set dressing they did it at, for this film but um i would imagine that's how the place looked it felt like you know a nice old hotel um and who is it claire is that her name claire yes it, she just she's someone that would have worked in stoke Aboka, your your store she's oh, some, yeah she just reminds me like she's that hip <laughs> yeah young kind of cool. you know sarcastic snarky you know but she she reminded i'm like oh, man she would have been a yeah yeah i used to own a surf and skate shop in new jersey and uh yeah i had some really cool employees and just but she definitely claire would definitely be a she would have fit right in um but yeah the pacing of it you know i I really really enjoyed that and the atmosphere of this film was was excellent and i Um, liked luke as well i thought he was funny you know he had yeah he had some good lines there's good writing in this film as well it's it's smart it's pretty smart film yeah definitely but it's definitely airs on the side of simplicity it doesn't try to get over complicated and I, i i know you enjoy that i enjoy that as well yeah but I think a really solid ending. It definitely, it's got a creepy ending. Um, you know, after the slow build, things get pretty intense and things start to happen. Um, and I enjoy it. I don't want to say too much more no, than that. Need, this this film definitely thrives, though. It needs the slow build because it totally fits this movie. Yeah, yeah. Once it gets to the end, it's it's pretty intense and it, it's it's freaky. It freaked me out. You know, I remember watching it late at night by myself. And I was freaked out. You know, it was definitely one of those films that, that stayed with me. It's, I think it's a solid ghost story, um, a film to be remembered. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So that's uh, The Innkeepers. That's my number four. It's streaming on Netflix. So if you have a streaming account, you can obviously get it from Netflix uh, DVD if you have that account. Um, it's also regular, in regular Netflix. That's where I got it. Yeah, from, so. and you can rent it from iTunes and all that good stuff. So, um, all right, Maddie, number three. All right, I'm going to be very, very brief on my number three because my friend across here, Mike, has not seen this film. And uh, I am such a huge fan of this film. Uh, this film is from 2013. It's very, very recent. And it's a film with Ethan Hawke, and it's called Sinister. New details today in the grisly murders of a local family found earlier this week. Do you think these are serial murders? I don't know. The first one I found dates back to the 60s. The only link between all these cases is the symbol. The symbol is associated with a pagan deity named Bagul. He consumes the souls of human children. Now, when I first saw the ads for this movie, I think this this film blew it, or it just came. I think it was a matter of placement. It just came out at the wrong time because when I saw the ads of this, it had a very, very, very cool ad where girl walked across a wall and she scratched it in kind of like black, darkish blood kind of. Like I remember, that. and it was very cool. But you know, the commercial and the trailer had. You know, Ethan Hawke's walking down this hallway in, 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 his, in his house, and 
you just see somebody like, whoa, they pop like upside down out of like a cardboard box, like a moving box. And it was like, what the hell? And it almost seemed like, you know, it was like a house on the end of the, at the end of the street, which was a horrible film with Jennifer Lawrence. I don't know if you saw The House at the End of the Street. I did. I did. I, I did not enjoy that you film. You didn't like at it at all? No, I did not. I kind of liked it. And it seemed like it was kind of a toss-off House at the End of the Street ripoff, which wasn't good to begin with. I'm sorry to disagree with you, but yeah. I just don't like that film at all. No, that's all right. But um, it's so much more than that. Yeah. This film, you want to talk about watching it alone. I watched this film alone. I almost had to turn this movie off. I was so really? genuinely creeped out. Really? Yeah. It 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 is so atmospheric. Okay. So Ethan Hawke is a is a writer. He writes horror uh, crime fiction. Okay. And he wrote a huge book. So he's trying to. And that was ten years ago. So he needs to kind of like get back in the light. Okay. He's, he's been out of the light for a while. All right. You know? He's trying. To but get he's very back. known for this one book. So he moves into this house with his family, trying to you know reignite the spark of creativity or what mm-hmm. have you. And it's a house where pretty horrible things have happened. And he, um, moved in, he moves in on purpose. He moves in there because he's trying to, you know, he's hoping that some of this stuff rubs off on him and he can write right. his new book yeah. and become, you know, the, the, be the second big, you know, have the second big part of his career. So needless to say, he finds some old films in the attic. And Mike, this is where totally this kind of stuff you would dig. Okay. He finds these old Super 8 or 8 millimeter films in the attic. And on these films are some heinous Fucking scary shit. I I I know the premise, and so I'm not going to say anything more. Yeah, something to do with the family, the family that used to live oh, there. Oh my god! And 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 someone who shows up in these films. Okay. Okay. I'm not even going to say any more than that because to say more than that would soil this experience. And I am going to talk this film up. Unlike burnt offerings, I'm not worried about you not liking this film. Right. Because at the very least, you are going to be fucking creeped out by this I, movie. Yeah, I can't wait to see this film. It's definitely one of those ones that I wanted to see when it was in theaters, never got to. And it. I have to watch this movie with you. Oh, nice. That that's the best kind because yeah, sitting next to you watching a film like this will be good. You well, can- we have two. We have. Uh, a couple of examples. That scream was one example that you, um, yes, you and I had, had. Yeah, you took me to you took me to see Scream. I went to see it with, first. Yeah, I saw it with my father actually. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a great experience. I remember just being blown away. Yeah, and I was so excited for you to see your next because absolutely you, know, you missed it in theaters, and I was like, Maddie, you have to see this. Great, film. yeah, another great film. So that's good. So Sinister, two thousand thirteen, uh, just went in and out of the theaters. Did not get big play, but let me tell you, go back and rediscover this thing because I am a huge proponent. I am a huge, really big fan of this film, as you should be, because it is really a, a, a strong entry in, in this kind of a film, in this, this genre of the film. So check it out, man. Sinister. Definitely. Can't wait to. All right. My number three, Maddie. Give it um, to me. <laughs> get on me. Right on me. My number three was filmed very close to where we are recording this podcast right now. Uh-oh. Do you know what I'm talking about, man? Number three film. Is it Ocean or Monmouth County? It was in... was filmed in Tom's River, correct? Tom's... Oh, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this. I was going to say don't don't uh, don't go in the house. That was Lenny no, Kylan's. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, I am thinking that you're talking about the Amityville Horror. Yes, the Amityville Horror. From the best-selling book that made millions believe... In the unbelievable, the Amityville Horror. That is my number three. And, um, oh my gosh, this film 
as a child it freaked me out it was so scary as a young child you know because it was one of those movies that you could catch late night on television you know uh, i'm sure a lot of the scenes were cut out of it but um once i finally saw the full version of the film it it just it was just amazing it was and it's just, certainly not for the gory aspect because it's not no, gory it's a creepy aspect you know it's definitely um just a creepy film that does a great job um Directed by Stuart Rosenberg, um, who is known for probably uh, the the film that most people would know would be Cool Hand Luke, which well, I didn't realize. Wow, right? Yeah. And then um, uh, written by Sander Stor- Stern, who I don't really know too well, but it was obviously based on the book by um, Jay Anison and based on the, the, the true family, uh, the true story of the family, the Lutzes, who lived in the house in Long Island, in Amity, Long Island. And the Warrens, correct me if I'm wrong, from The Conjuring, they're connected to the Amityville Horror as well, aren't yes, they? Yes, they actually, I think their next, I think The Conjuring 2 might be about the Amityville house. Really? That I, that's be, what I heard. I'm not sure. That would though. be amazing. Yeah, I, I'm not I have positive. to stop saying that because I think I've said amazing like five times. Right? So I'm going <laughs> to knock that shit off. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, the... Uh, one thing that I loved about this film is the way it started. The the, the scene at the beginning um, when they're looking at the house, um, you know, they, they kind of they introduce what happened at the house. You know, this this uh, this this man went crazy and shot his whole family in the house and right. you just see the shotgun going off and just you, you don't even know what's going on. But, you know, the people are getting killed. Um, then they cut to 10 years later, I believe. And the Lutzes are checking out this house. And that would be James Berlin and Margot Kidder. Yes. Yes. Um there's a scene where they're looking at the house and the real estate lady, I guess, had to tell them that people died in the house. And, um, <laughs> you'd have to disclose that, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, James Brolin is talking to his wife, Margot Kidder. And, um, there's a line, there's a line in the film where he, she says something about, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I want to move in. And he says, houses don't have memories. And that really, really uh, it resonated with you. Yeah. It just kind of almost was like a, you know, it was like the opposite of what really was going to happen. Yeah, this house definitely has memories and it's going to, you know, the rest of this film is you're going to see that these memories are coming out. A um, lot of crazy stuff. You know, the uh, there's um, a, a priest that comes to bless the house and there's the scene oh, yeah. with the flies. Yes. Oh, my God. And the only thing I could think of watching this is what are flies attracted to? dead things right so you know this the flies you know it's just like an, an amazing scene where this this priest is trying to get out of the room and he can and holy cow it's so free is this now i haven't seen this in a while too i know i've seen this but this is the one where the kids are like dangling the spider out to scare his sister and like the window closes on his yes hand and he, yeah he breaks his hand yeah and, there's a lot of crazy, like like you said, not gory Blood things. oozing from the walls a little bit. Yeah, some stuff like that, but it, not a ton of gore, but just a really creepy factor to this film that I, I really love. And even to this day, you can watch it and you, you feel it. Um, well, I certainly prefer this one to the Ryan Reynolds remake. Yeah, I no, definitely, definitely. I definitely do. Yeah, no, the, the, the original is definitely, definitely way better. Um, this film came out in, in July of 1979, you know... Um, right before sort of the slew of the eighties kind of uh, horror films. But I think for its time, it's a really good film. Um, I think it still stands up, you know, a lot of cool, um, simple effects. Um, 
And the house is so real. That's what makes the whole movie is that it seems like it's like somebody's house that you've been in, like your your, your grandmother, your aunt's yeah. house or something. It's a house yeah. that you've been inside. Absolutely. It's so real. And I thought that, that that authenticity, I think, lent a lot to the film. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to ask you because, you know, I live up north a little bit and you live down in this area. What what was it? Had, did you ever go to the house? Or have you ever I been have to the seen, house? I have seen and I'm, and I'm, I got to make sure, sure that we're right about this. I know that some either maybe from from the water or some shots of it were, were filmed in Tom's river. I no, think, I know um, that's, I think a lot of the exteriors, I know Amity long Island though. They also claim that, that they, they filmed some of it there as well. I don't but, think they could, but the exteriors, yeah, I've definitely, I know that I could show you the block where this is filmed. I know exactly where it is. It's down in downtown Tom's river, um, off to the side a little before you get to where it, it goes into route nine South and stuff. And, but it, it's very, it's so it's changed a lot down South. Yeah. Tom's river. But this house, it's that block. It really has that feel to it. It's and, very cool. And the house is. Do you know if the house is still the same? Does it still have the windows on the side? Or? I don't because I haven't been by there probably in about ten to twelve years. So oh, I we gotta go over there. We man. should. We, we should, should go should. check it out. Yeah, the the Tom the, the, Mar the Ocean County Maritime Museum is over there too. This little museum. That's by there. Cool. So yeah, we should check it out. That's cool. Well, anyway, that's my number three. Um, if you haven't seen Amityville, which I'm sure you have, definitely check it out. It is available for streaming on, on Netflix, um, and it is for rent. You can stream it on Amazon Prime if you have that account. Um, and actually, Redbox Instant, which is kind of like a new thing. Redbox is starting like an instant streaming account, okay. and it's available on there. But you know, obviously, you can rent it from iTunes and all those kind of places. So that's my number three, Maddie. Obviously, uh, obviously, with my technology that I have available, <laughs> I, I can watch it on, on VHS. There you go, Matt. Nice. Yeah, going classic. Yes. So, Maddie, moving to your – we're getting down the list now. Your number two. Yeah, well, my number two I definitely want to talk about, but um, I know this is a film that we both hold – a lot of high regard for, but I know that you really, really uh, hold high regard for this film. Yes. And um, that would be Poltergeist from 1982, directed by Toby Hooper, supposedly. Yeah, I was going to say, did he really direct it, Matt? Mm. Do we know that for sure? Yeah, I think he did. I think most he, of it. I think he, yeah, I think he did some of it, you know. Poltergeist. It knows what scares you. I think he's. Uh, I think Toby Hooper's the John Carpenter, and Steven Spielberg might be like the Deborah Hill of the Halloween thing. He filmed a couple of scenes, maybe. Or you think? Uh, I think. I think. I think opposite. Spielberg filmed most of it, and to Toby. I don't know of, about that. Yeah. I'd like to give Toby Hooper the benefit of the doubt, but I love stories like that. Though it's so cool when you can kind of like those behind the scenes of like you know, who said what, but I've read a couple things online, uh, you know, getting ready for this podcast. And, you know, some people were saying how a lot of the cast were saying that, um, Spielberg did most of the directing and some people were saying that Toby did. Yeah. Craig, know. Craig D. Nelson falls on the, on the, on the latter camp. He says Toby Hooper definitely directed. The film. Yeah. Yeah. But, and um, I think, I think Spielberg made a statement, um, about, Toby Hooper's uh, directing style, and then he had to put an ad in the Hollywood Reporter, like uh, you know, retracting it. Yeah, yeah like he, apologizing. He, I mean, you talk to Spielberg today; he definitely cl claims it's it's Toby Hooper's film. Yeah, I mean, you know. well, I think now he does because he, you know. But I think uh, I, I, it feels like a Spielberg film, though. You have it, to admit, well, it Maddie. certainly does. It's yeah. it's definitely that that kind of grandiose, yes, yet intimate at the same time. So real, the characters are so incredibly real, oh. drawn. I mean, the first ten minutes of the film. You know, it's Joe Beth Williams, who, by the way, is is an absolute, unbelievable presence in this film. Yeah. Um, but just her being a good mom. I mean, the whole ten, yep. first 10 minutes, it's so plain, you know, it's, you know, kissing the kid here and helping. It's just everything about it. I, I love, I love the, you know, the, just the mundane, yeah. you know, suburban life that Definitely. they set up. Kind of, it's beautiful. So I saw this film actually a couple times in the theater. You did? Yeah, I did. Nice. Um, 
And, you know, again, this film starts with, you know, it's the static, the snow on the TV and, and, and Carol Ann just answered, just the way she started answering questions and there was nothing being asked from the television right away. My nine year old <laughs> self, I was a little creeped out. I'm like, who the hell is she talking to? You know, that kind of yeah. creeped me out right away. Oh my God. And the music from Jerry Goldsmith. Oh, unbelievable. I believe he also did on um, the Omen, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. Yeah. But, um, great score. I mean, oh, just again, themes, great, incredible themes. Um. I mean, where do you want to start with this? Oh, oh, an interesting side note here. Special, I saw, I was watching the credits. Okay. I, watched, I just watched this, uh, again, doing research for, the, for our podcast here. Special sound effects were done by Alan Howarth. Do you know oh, that name? Oh, yes. Halloween. Composer with John Carpenter on That's several of amazing. the Halloween sequels. How I cool is no that? I had no idea. Yeah, he's there. So just sound effects he Speci- did? No, he's a special sound effects. He didn't, Ooh. I don't know if he's, I don't think he was an assistant to Jerry Goldsmith right, or anything, right. but some of the extra little sound effects. And again, this, but this sound, there's a lot of sound in this film. Yeah, yeah. It's very integral and important to yep. this film. So he definitely had something to do with that. I thought that was kind of That's a neat. That's really cool. I had no idea about yeah, that. That's guys, awesome. The word gets around, I guess. Yeah, you know? very cool. Um, how much you want to talk about this, Maddie? Because I know this might turn up again in my list. So do you want to... You know what? Let's. Why don't we hold off on this then, um, if you want. Sure. And I, the th- I, <laughs> it's an interesting um, list for Maddie and I because my number one is Maddie's number two and my number two is versa. Maddie's number one. That's right. So do you want to keep talking about Poltergeist yeah, knowing I, that it's my number one? Why don't you take it and, yeah. then, um, and then I'll chip in with some extra stuff. Okay. So yeah, my number one was Poltergeist. Maddie's number two was Poltergeist. I, I just, a couple of things I want to add. Um, I, I thought everything about this felt like a Spielberg film to me for several reasons. Um, one thing is it felt very real. Like he uses real, uh, like real, it feels like a real family, you know, real situations. Kid centered. Yes. Like the, the one scene I loved was the opening scene after the television scene, obviously, which is amazing. You know, I think that's one of the greatest openings for so iconic. Oh my God. Um, but the scene where the, the, the friend, the, the, the dad's friend is driving on a BMX bike with, oh, the, with beer. the beer. Yes, and the kids have the uh, remote control car, oh, and yeah. they they make him crash. That it's brilliant, and the fact that he just gets up and runs in the house to catch the game as, yes. as the beer is spurting all yeah. over. Oh, it's brilliant! And it then is. the guys are watching the game, and you know, it, it just felt like a real family, you know. And I, you know, growing up in the eighties, it felt like a family that you. And you then knew. with the remote control, he leans out the side of yes. the fence and sets up the whole. Their houses are very close together, yeah. and. Yeah, it was. It was. It's cool though. You know, you set it up with something. Something spooky happens at the beginning, right? right? And then you get to this real situation. There's this real family, and that's what I think. You know, I, I'm giving all the credit to Spielberg. I know it's it's, but he actually wrote well, the screenplay. He co- he co- yeah, wrote the he screenplay co- wrote as well. It. So, so I know that's what he was going. And it for. was his story idea as well. Yes, it, it it just it was a great setup for me, and I thought I love stuff like that. There's the scene with the bird dying at the beginning. Yes. You're dealing with death. They're Tweety setting is his up, name. Yeah, Tweety. Setting up that theme right from the start. I think that's what's so good about Spielberg probably with his writing in this capacity is that he's setting up a, a theme for the film right from the start. You right. know, there's death, you know. Right. And dealing with dealing loss. Dealing with loss. Right. And it, it just – it was such a great uh, moment for the film. And it, that that's what the brilliant thing I think about Spielberg is that he knows how to insert these little things. Not like a big overdramatic thing but little things like that that kind of set up the theme for the film. Um, the, the clown, Maddie. I, I can't tell you how many times – you know, when I was a kid, I would be freaked out by something, not a clown. I didn't have a clown in my room. Right. But just anything with eyes after seeing that scene yeah. scared the crap out of me. And you know what's amazing? I mean, I didn't realize, and I said the word again, I'm sorry. <laughs> just just like do something to me every time I say that. 
what is really fantastic about that is that that and I didn't realize and I've seen the movie so many times mm -hmm. but that that clown scene happens like so late in the film there's literally like 15 minutes from the, it's after the whole climax has happened Carol Ann is you know back and everything and then that scene happens again reinstating the brilliance of Spielberg well you're talking about under the bed the clown exactly right yeah you're yeah, talking yeah. about the beginning when I'm talking about the beginning just the setup you yeah know but I mean that, that but the, but I'm, I'm talking about the actual scene yes yes know, and that's that, it, and it's oh. so late on in the film and it's yeah. like here you are you know you just came off this roller coaster ride and you're like okay I'm good. Yeah. I wasn't good as a nine-year-old. No. I was messed up. That's the thing. Like, it really felt like the film was over at that point. And then, you know, you get into almost the worst part of the film. You know, it's unbelievable. Um, again, I love the pacing of this. I love this this feel of just kind of the slow buildup. Um, once the paranormal investigators get there, you know, then it starts to move quick. But little things like... Um, th there's humor in this film too, as oh, well, lots of it. is, which is awesome. Lots One of, of my it. favorite scenes is when the boss comes to to check on uh, the family because they're all sick, you know. Yes, yes. And he's walking in the kitchen, I think. And is it the kitchen? And one of the like the desks or chairs. Oh, and he, he ushers yeah, them out of the house. It's like real quick moving so he, the and piano. He's like, I think it's the piano. The piano. The piano. It's and the he's piano. shuffling him out of the house. <laughs> like it's just. And it's the guy who did the Pathmark commercial. Yes, yes, that's right. My wife was saying that last night. She was like, Kathleen Pathmark. was like, is that the guy from Pathmark? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, just so many funny moments too. And I think that's the other thing that Spielberg did really well. Um, another scene that I love that's so Spielberg is. Right before uh, the wife is going into the closet to retrieve her daughter. Right, into the spectral, whatever you call it. You have this amazing Avoid. light, which Spielberg is so good at. He's got this crazy light. And that's, you know, it might be the cinematographer. I'm not sure, but... Leonetti actually was a cinematographer. Oh, okay, gotcha. But it's very Spielberg. Spielberg loves to use light. It's well known. This crazy light coming out of this, this... Then you have the moment where the husband and wife kiss right before she goes in. Yes, yes. It, it's just such a perfect moment that a lot of films probably wouldn't have. You know, they wouldn't have that moment. It, it would be sort of a cheesy sort of, you know... Uh, just yeah. put on. Yeah, yeah. And I love like moments like that, real moments. Like not earned almost in another yes. film, but it was definitely earned in this film. Yes, like you, you were invested in this family and you knew these characters. Um, those are the films that I, I truly love. So, yeah, that you know, I don't know what else to say about this. Uh, Steven Spielberg uh, based Poltergeist on a park in Denver, Colorado. And the park was originally a cemetery and they converted the park, um, you know, like a, a park where kids play, and they left all the bodies. This son of a bitch, you moved the cemetery, but you left the bodies, didn't you? This son of a bitch, you left the bodies, and you only moved the headstones! You only moved the headstones! I can't believe, that's so cool. Like, he must have read this article or something and came up with the idea, which is so cool. I love stuff like that when people base things on real news stories. The other thing I read, I don't know if you read this, that... The scene in the pool. Yes, they used real skeletons because it was cheaper than it buying. It looked like it. Yeah, because it was cheaper than buying, you know, the fake uh, cadavers and stuff like that. Really? Oh my God! Imagine. That's pretty. That's pretty awesome, right? It's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, it's funny because you've said Spielberg about eight hundred times. I and, know, and it's still Toby, Toby Hooper's film. Anyway, I know, I know. The part that was Spielbergian to me, yes, was. Poor way, Toby Hooper. <laughs> I know, poor Toby Hooper. But the part that really where he put his imprint in the film is all the things that you've mentioned. Yeah. But certainly the way the suspense was drawn out with Robbie, the accounting of the thunder and everything, and how it keeps repeating yes. that kind of theme. And yeah. it's so suspenseful. And I think I started doing this because of this movie. 
I mean, I literally, when there was thunderstorms, would do this the verbatim with the counting between yeah. and how far the storm is. And I think they do a brilliant job here. I'm not saying who it is, Spielberg, Toby Hooper. Right. The filmmakers do a fantastic job of, of really, you know, drawing that suspense out. Yeah. And in the beginning, it works. You know, yes. it's fine, and he smiles. And, yeah. But at the end, you know, at that clown scene, it does not oh, work my you know, gosh. at all. Yeah. Or, or, the, or the tree scene or whatever it the is. The tree, like, yeah. Um, but Joe, back to Joe Beth Williams um, and Craig T. Nelson. Yes. You could totally have bought them as, as a married couple. Absolutely. Um, like when they show them just the, – the, and the, what makes me laugh is, you know, you got, the, you got a sense that Joe Beth Williams would do anything for her children. That's the setup. She would do absolutely anything yes. to protect her kids, and that's brilliant. Yep. Because she's going to have to do – more than what she thinks she's ever going to have to do in her life right. for her kids later on in this film. And I think it's brought up by, um, what's the actress's name, the the little lady? Um, oh, her name. Uh, Zelda Rubinstein. Yes. Rubinstein, yes. Yes. She has that conversation with her. Are you willing to go? You oh, it's a long yeah. monologue. Yeah. That's... She, they, she sort of sets that up. Yep. Um, you know, and it sort of proves, it reiterates. The, but the film has already set that up. That's what's so great about it. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's um, a, yeah. And I just thought that one scene when she's laying and she's... Uh, you know, Joe Beth Williams is smoking pot. Yeah. And there's Craig T. Nelson. You know, he, he's reading a Ronald Reagan book. Yeah. yeah. You know? And he's, and he's watching TV. And I'm like, I would have just been banging Joe Beth Williams like the whole time. Like, how can you sit and read Ronald Reagan's book and watch a damn dull Married TV show? Married life, man. You got, Married you got life. your wife hot as hell yeah. in a little, little, yeah. little football thing, nighty, with beautiful legs. Like sitting there just getting stoned and laughing. Dude, yeah. go and take care of your business. Be the I know. dad. You know, it's funny. After you said that, I'll have to admit, I definitely rewound the scene. You know the crazy scene where they have the – where she's going all over the ceiling on the floor? Oh, yeah. See if you, could, if you freeze frame it to see if you could see anything? Well, I just would just like – you know, as a young guy, would just be like, oh, her underwear. You know, like it was just exciting to see her By underwear the way, and stuff. a little nightmare on Elm Street there? Yes, Totally. Yeah, you know what scene I'm talking about now, yes. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's total, and that's this this Trump. This comes before, so yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's it. Big steel and borrow, right? That's the, the best. Way oh, to it's do beautiful. It. But I mean, the thing, the theme that 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 gets me about this film, it sets up this world of serenity, mm-hmm. this peaceful, nice suburban world where yes, where, where yeah, a guy comes in with beer and the kids jerk around and, and they and they trip him and he falls yeah. off and, and he doesn't even care. It's part of the cool life and it's mm-hmm. and it's it's safe. Yeah, and. It's and it all at the end it yanks that out from under you. Yeah, like that's everything that the, that this movie hinges on is the fact that the the parents, the neighborhood, it's all, everyone's watching out for each other, you know. And then no matter how strong you are as a parent, and how prepared you are, and how great of a parent you are, you can't stop. That's the beauty of it. You could not stop what's happening no. to them because it was this, you know, spectral void. And yeah, that's what I thought was so to me worked the best. Because they set this beautiful safety valve up with the family in the neighborhood, and then they just yank it out from under you, and you're like, "Holy shit!" And that's why it's, it falls apart, and you're like, "Oh!" And you feel like you're in this film. Absolutely. Um, and I actually, I have to say, le- legitimately, the one paranormal investigator guy with the meat, the meat crawling across the counter. Oh my god. Okay, and then he goes in the bathroom, and yes, what does the, he proceed to do? Yeah, he tears proceeds. his face off. Uh, let me tell you that my love of horror was born in that moment in yeah. the theater the first time when I saw that film. Now you watch it now, and the special effects still hold up. I don't care what anybody says. You right. can definitely tell it's well, you know the, it, the head's pretty fake. As a nine-year-old kid in 1982, I was sitting in that theater yeah. when I saw. I literally came out of that theater, and my love of horror was cemented in and in, in that scene. Yeah, that no, everything was, cool. was born from that minute. 
It was, uh, yeah, I was definitely freaked out by it too. And it, I was blown away by it. Watching it now, it's like, you know, that's a fake head. You know what I mean? But then I, I didn't even know that, you know, but I, getting back to the story, I that's think it's dark. It, I mean, it was the darkest no, thing. I yeah. Mean, it was, it was scary. So go ahead. Even the meat, you know, with the stuff crawling out of the meat, that was freaky as hell. But I think what, what makes this film so great, I think is the story, you know, it's, it's a simple story of this neighborhood and, you know, sort of other things are going on. It's built on this, you know, this, this, uh, burial ground where they didn't move the bodies. Right. And, oh, it's, it's just amazing. And, you know, it almost has, um, it almost has like a Jaws feel to it in the sense that, you know, you have the mayor trying to like protect the town by, you know, sweeping things under the rug. You know, it's definitely yep. you have the the boss, you right. know, sort of uh, Craig T. Nelson's boss. Yep. Sort of like, you know, path not, mark, shop path. Mark. Yes. There you go. Um, it just it's just a cool, simple story. And I think that's what, you know, makes it hold up to this day. And I think it's uh, it's an it's an amazing movie. It's definitely uh, it's awesome. I concur. Yes, I think we should move on to uh, Maddie's number one, which was my number two, which is The Shining. I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970? Well, a man named Charles Grady is the winter caretaker. And he came up here with his wife and two little girls, I think about eight and ten. From what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point... During the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family with an axe. You can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. All right. How much has been said about this film? (laughs) So much, too much. Not enough. Uh, I recently watched the documentary Room 2. Uh, 237 did you see that documentary I started I didn't get to finish it but really fascinating it is fascinating Um, the conspiracy theories and the subtext which they they kind of um, give Kubrick credit for for layering in this film I definitely don't want to go there yeah because the it's whole, a lot. you know, the genocide of the Native American. Yes, there's a and lot World of World War Two. The, the the Jews, Nazi Germany. I mean, it's it's incredible what they're giving him credit for doing. There's here. a lot of. And if you analyze it, I guess you could find that in a, in, in stuff yeah, if you want to see it. Couldn't you analyze any movie? You though, could. Man? That's what I'm saying. I believe you could do that. Um, yeah. And I think that's. I think in its own right, it's fascinating. Yeah. But the thing about this film, that not, I mean, hands down, in my mind, there's absolutely no question, with the revered director that that Kubrick is. This is my favorite of his films. I will not find myself going back and watching 2001 A Space Odyssey. As genius and as as a landmark film as it is, it is brilliant. And there's some things in there that have totally set the stage for for science fiction and Arthur C. Clarke. And science fiction was born, basically, in the new wave of it anyway, from that film. And A Clockwork Orange, again. But I'm not going to go back and I'm not going to sit there and watch these films over and over again. No, I have seen The Shining 30 or 40 times. And I could watch it another 30 or 40 times. I agree. Easily. Totally agree. Um, so it's the best Kubrick film by far. I mean, the helicopter shots in the beginning and Penderecki's music over the credits, just haunting. Yeah. I mean, it sets you up for, all right, what the hell? Now, you know me. Anyone who knows me knows that I am a Stephen King diehard. Okay? Absolutely. Stephen King is very upfront with the fact that he fucking does not like this film. Yeah. And the reason he doesn't like it is because it's, not, it's nothing like his book. So I can respect that. Absolutely. And for the longest time, though, I had a really hard time separating the two things. Okay. I, I'm, a, I'm a purist, so I said, fuck you, Kubrick. 
as much as I like the movie. I almost like, you know, when I got to college and stuff and I'm like, yeah, well I'm literate now and I'm this guy and I, I, I write deep stuff and, and you know, so fuck that man. It's the literature is the real stuff. That's where you got to go. And Kubrick was just, you know, what an idiot I was because this movie, you can watch it and you just learn new things from it and you can, you decipher different meanings, your own meanings for what you bring to it, obviously. But I don't even care. I, I, it's, I've come to this place now where I can totally look at them as two separate entities, which I was never able to do before. There's the book and there's the movie. Yeah. I fucking love them both. They're both amazing. That's love the thing. Both. They both have you know qualities that are unbelievable. And you're right. You have to separate them. You have to because you'll drive yourself crazy. You know, if you're, you know, if you're trying to be a, a, a king purist and saying, oh, it should have been this way. Um, I think the film is, is, is amazing. I think, um, the, the shots are unbelievable. Oh, the, oh, the, steady the use, cam. the use of Steadicam oh. is, is probably the best Steadicam I've ever seen. It's besides, gotta be top three. Yeah. You know, even I love, you know, you and I love Halloween, the original Halloween, the Steadicam's okay in that film. It's not yeah, great. It definitely but, works. That film. But it's cool. But in this film, it's like, it's perfection. You know, it's, it's like it's they rehearsed it like 900 times. Oh, it's amazing. It's seamless. It's the kind of effect where you don't notice it. And those are the best effects. The ones that sort of disappear. It, it's so seamless and so perfect. Yeah, the kid riding the bike. You know, oh, I God. Mean, and, the, and the sound of the rug and you're off the, on the wooden yes. floor and the rug. I mean, it's... It's unbelievable. It's so creepy. Um, so creepy. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's iconic things all over this film. Um, what what's some of your favorite scenes, Matt? Well, I have to say, okay, you you might be surprised by this actually, uh, because you know a lot of people say, oh, you know, when the twin girls are standing right. there, um, but to me, the scariest scene um, in this film for me was has always been when when Jack goes up to room two three seven, yes, and the beautiful woman is naked in the tub and she comes out and they're making out. But then he looks in the in the mirror, of course, and then sees that it's this this decayed, um, awful, you know, long dead old woman. Yeah. And she starts just kind of stepping towards him in this slow motion with her hands out, and the way the camera backs up from his point of view, and it's just plodding towards him and laughing and cackling in this evil. I mean, my blood chills even now talking about it. Yeah. I can feel the yeah. ghost flesh all over. I mean, it is just. Haunting, and it'll never. I will never be not scared of that that scene. That scene will scare me till the day I die. Um, it's just absolutely fantastically executed. And the other scenes, to me, I could watch if this were a three-hour film, and it was just Jack in the bar talking to Lloyd, yes, the bartender, yes. and then Mister Grady in the bathroom. I could watch that shit for five hours. Yeah, the way the pauses and what they're saying, <clears throat> Mister Grady. Uh, and the way they're talking to each other, it's fucking brilliant. It's if that was just the whole movie, I would be like, "This is the greatest dialogue." It's just yeah. the dialogue, and I just absolutely, sir, you've always been the caretaker. I mean, it's just the greatest, Lloyd. You know, and just the, I just yeah. love Nicholson in that scene and in those scenes. To me, you know, yeah, is he over the top? Of course he is. You know, is he crazy from the first yeah, freaking Jack. frame you see him? Yeah, yeah he brought his jackness to yeah. it. But damn, it's those scenes! Man. Those scenes are amazing. Now, now, Mr. Grady, he's the original caretaker, right? Is that is that correct? Well, is he? That's, well, the, that's I know, why this movie but, is so fun. Yes, yeah, he's the one. Well, he's name? the one who axed his two daughters, who are the ones that show yes, up in front of death. Yes, yes, that yeah, is yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. But um, and I want to add also, you know, me and you know, I'm a huge Paul Thomas Anderson. Fan. Yes, I yes, mean, just absolutely my favorite. Um, the music from There Will Be Blood, that Daniel Day Lewis film from 2007, mm -hmm. the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Um, 
is greatly influenced from the, the music from Pend- from Penderecki's music. If you go on and you and you Google Penderecki or go on iTunes or YouTube, right. I mean that shit is just any you could take any suspense film and lay his music over and it becomes nine hundred times scarier. The slow build, the the way he started really low and the the, the dynamics and oh it's just beautiful. It, it is absolutely beautiful. Um so there will be blood takes a lot. Johnny Greenwood actually from Radiohead who okay. does, who does, who scores Paul Thomas Anderson's the last yeah. two, two films and actually scoring the third a third one that's coming out next year was really influenced by that. So I think that's kind of cool. I mean, the maze is a um, amazing set piece. The maze. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we could talk all day about this film. I just want to get your take on some of the, your, your scary scenes. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think obviously, um, I love when, when he starts losing it and he's, you know, he's in the, the, the grand hall and he's typing and, um, he just starts to get angrier and angrier. Like, I love that when you see this like slow transformation, Yeah, throwing the tennis ball up yeah, against the wall, just and... like little subtle things like that, um, are really creepy. You know, I love the scene at the end in the maze, you know, uh, the, I love, uh, what's the, the African-American actor. Oh, Scatman Crothers. His voice is so yeah, creepy. Is so right? cool. Oh man. When he's laying on that bed in Miami and he's got his feet up and you got that that African lady with the big, huge afro and the and, like semi-nude and the painting on the wall and the camera pulls. But, oh, it's just, that's just, he's just there chilling. We're like, he doesn't need fucking Danny summoning him yeah. to the cold right. death up in Chicago, yeah. you know, in, in Colorado. Yeah. It's, it's cool. You know, I, I think it, it definitely, it's one of those films that can seem slow to some people, but I really enjoy it. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like his slow take, you know, into madness, um, the one thing I wanted to ask you, because I'm sure most people have seen this film, what's your take on the on the end, where you know you see the the picture and you see that he's been there all along? Well, there. again, it's Mr. Grady's words, right? You know, basically, he, it may it may have been different people, it may have been Mr. Grady, it may have been him, right? But they that that kind of insane entity. Spirit has been in the hotel all along. Yes. I mean, what, I mean th- there are many different interpretations, obviously. Now, is that how the book ended? No. No. Okay. No, not even a little bit. Okay. Again, Kubrick did not want to, you know, he was rewriting this thing as he was going along. I mean, you watch the DVD. There's a lot of extras on there. Um, I don't know if it's Shelley Duvall's diary or whatever. By the way, she's great in this movie too. I don't yeah, care what no, she's, says, you know, yeah, that's, people I think... have, have bashed her for this and how she's whiny and stuff, but she's, she's great in this movie. No, she's um, definitely good. She holds good. it together. Yeah. She, she comes across as a, a concerned mother and wife. But you could see, you know, they'd have <clears> several <throat> shots of Kubrick actually in like in the kitchen scene or near the kitchen or whatever. He's typing. Like he's just typing new lines. Like wow. he's just, just, just changing it up. You know? Yeah. He's, he's obviously notorious for, for doing that. Yeah. But, um, I mean, this film just deepens with every, with every viewing, it, it just gets deeper. And, um, again, it's riveting. And, you know, the scene that I go back to again and again, it's when Shelley Duvall is starting to see, you know, the blood coming down the stairs and she's seeing all these whacked out stuff. Yeah. This when she opens that one door and those, the, the, those two costume people looks like the one is filleting the other one. You're like, what the fuck yeah, is it's, going on it's here? What, what did Kubrick take, you know, that, that made that scene that day? You know, that was not in the, that was not in the book. I'll tell oh, you that. Unbelievable. But I don't care. I yeah. don't care because for that movie, the, the bizarre shit that she starts seeing, I mean, you know, I just thought it worked really well for that movie. Yeah, it's definitely one of those creepy things that it stays with you. You know, uh, seeing it as a child, you're sort of like, oh my god, you know, this will never leave my brain. You know, this is these images will never go away. No, I mean, no, I'm um, ready to watch it again. <laughs> you know what? I, I read this is really cool. the uh, The Stanley Hotel, um, what they they based it on. Yes. Uh, 
they uh, on channel forty two in every room they have The Shining just on a loop. Do they? Yeah, if you if you stay there, you can just check it out, which is really cool. Um, the other cool thing I read was the scene where uh, Jack Nicholson breaks through the door. You know the famous yes. scene. Here's Johnny. Yep. They they used a fake false door, and Jack came through it so hard that they actually had to use a real door. So they they went from using this false door to a real door, which I thought was kind of. So then he was really swinging that axe pretty hard. Though. He was swinging it hard, and he was really busting through that door, which was pretty neat. But yeah, I you know I think the acting in this film is unbelievable. Jack Nicholson, you know, is so crazy. I can't imagine anyone else playing when this When do part. you think maybe we should take him to see a doctor? <laughs> as soon as possible. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's... Uh... You've had your whole fucking life. Oh, I mean, it's just it's just too much here, man. We can't. We oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, so I, you know, I think it's my number two and your number one. It's one of those films that, uh, you know, well, so many people, I'm sure, it's, it's in their top five if they did their own, you know, even horror movie uh, top five. Um, one of those amazing films that'll always stay with me and always go back and watch, you know, it's just kind of fun, even as, as a filmmaker, just to get cool ideas for shots. And, you know, it's just such a yeah. great, great movie. Yeah. Unbelievable. So yeah, absolutely. So Maddie, I think that wraps up our podcast. Our um, very first. Yes. I'm really excited about doing this. I think, you know, we talked about, um, maybe trying this monthly first and then if we can crank them out a little faster than that, maybe like every two weeks we'll do that. But, um, we don't know what our next podcast is going to be like yet, but we'll definitely announce it on our website. And, uh, don't forget to check it out. It's alone in the dark podcast.com. Um, you can email us if you want to do that contest. You can contest. You can email us uh, right from the website, but our email address is alone in the dark podcast at yahoo.com. Um, anything else you want to add, Maddie? I just like to say that when you're in the theater, I don't care if it's crowded and there's thousands of people in there. Once those lights go down, we're all alone in the dark. Thanks for listening everybody. We'll uh we'll talk to you soon. Take and care. uh yeah, have a have a creepy day. Bye.